podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it's the weekend. It's John Gibbons. I'm here to host in the absence of Neil Ackerton. I'm joined by Josh Sexton, by Mo Stewart, and by Kiva O'Neill. I always struggle with your name, though. You know, Josh. It's hard, isn't it? Because the shirt and then the sun. Yeah, when Josh I'm doing Sexton. when I'm doing moments in time I'm, and I'm doing a serious voice, I um, I have to do it about seven times. Josh Sexton. I feel like I that's, that's they're the best ones you do because you sort of put like you can put a little pause in because it's like yeah. a natural for you to be yeah. like I'm John Gibbons. Yeah. This is Josh. So glad Sexton. it's not my name. You're struggling with. <laughs> That is a struggle but, in itself. Well, I mean, it's a struggle to spell, but you know, saying it's, it's not it's too right, bad. It? Yeah, yeah, You've yeah, got there now. But spelling that, I'd say, I'd say I get it wrong. I like it. It makes you sound like a bit of a piss, Sean Connery. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, this is The Weekender, um, if I didn't say that already. Um, it's in five parts this week. Part two is going to be about the Irish Festival, which is taking place in Liverpool over the next week or so. Part three, I'm going to speak to Jonathan Norcroft about his excellent article at The Weekend on Jürgen Klopp and his the three anniversary and not just what he's done but what's been built behind the scenes there and is working we all think very well at the moment and hopefully pushing Liverpool towards glory and in part four we're going to be talking about Liverpool ladies and why you should be all going to see them this weekend while the men's team have a weekend off but sandwiched either side of that I never know the, the sandwich metaphor you get it wrong don't you because the <laughs> that, that's the sandwich this is the bread um, and this, oh, you're going you're to get us for talking about three years of Jürgen Klopp as well so uh, kind of memories if you like what we think he's done for Liverpool Football Club and then in part five we're going to be talking about the future and what we think Jürgen needs to do to, to turn doubters into believers uh, if there are still any yet so I mean Kiva first of all it's been a laugh hasn't it it's been great boom <laughs> is that your favourite one me. word the yeah Jürgen because said. Jürgen's not only just like he's just this charismatic person doesn't even matter that he's our football club's manager yeah. he's just a great person and all is it I just want to watch him in like every interview because there'll always be something good and he makes everyone smile and not many people have that yeah, I mean, he's box officers in Emo, and that's that's kind of, you know, what Kiefer's saying there, this idea that he just kind of draws you to him and with his energy, but also his kind of kindness, really, and his ideals about, I like his ideals about how he thinks the world should be, not just yeah. football, and, you know, it, it kind of reminds you that this is meant to be fun, it's meant to be, you know, you work all week, and Josh is doing your editing in the office, but you get to Saturday, and you get to kind of enjoy these footballers, that's what it all should be about. Yeah, it, it, there's a humanity to him that I think really draws you in as well, because like you say, he's able to kind of separate the cold face of uh, professional football with the fact that these are human beings and these are people who uh, in us and fans want to go out and enjoy ourselves and you can tell that in the way he is with his players not only when he's giving them hugs after the games but sometimes sometimes even the players who he's had to say goodbye to in the way that he's gone about that shows that all of it feeds into who he is none of this is fake and when you think back to October 2015 and how he was and it was almost like a caricature version of what he was like when he, the big smile and the big laugh and again, the hugs and stuff. And there was a part of me that was worried that it might kind of wear off and then what was good about him might become his downfall. But that hasn't happened. I think even though he still doesn't give sound, uh, sound bites in every single interview, people still turn up wanting to hear what he's got to say. And I think he's still inspiring us. So I'm hoping that he's still inspiring the lads in the change room just as much. Yeah, I mean, and it's the, the quality of the football as well, isn't it, Joshua? He's not just entertaining in the press conference. He's, he's determined to give us entertaining football on the pitch as well. And although we haven't seen any trophies yet, and although we're all hoping that's next, you know, we've had some brilliant nights and there's been some football that's taken your breath away and there's been performances that, you know, you've just been absolutely buzzing off. Yeah, and, you know, he's a, he is a good person and we've talked about that, but first and foremost, he's, he's a good football manager, isn't he? And it was, uh, isn't he? And it was dead interesting recently that um, Alison Becker, I think it was, was, was talking and he said that he doesn't talk all the time, Klopp, but he knows the right things to say, which I think is sort of contrary to what most people would think about him. I think people think he's sort of chatty all the time and, and, is, and is constantly energetic and giving so much to the players, whereas what you probably don't know is that he's, he's probably actually quite like calculated and stuff and he's, and, he's, and he's a deep thinker and that's where the intelligence comes from and that's, that's I think, is, is a good thing for the players because as much as they need the, the reassurance and the hugs on the pitch and stuff like that they also need to know where they've gone wrong and be told in no uncertain terms when that happens because that's the way that improvement happens and, and, and we have improved so much under him yeah, I mean, when he took over, Kiva, it was a funny time, wasn't it? Because it wasn't like Liverpool were doing dreadfully. I've just had a little look here. We were 10th in the table after eight games. We'd won three, drawn three, lost two. So all kind of very average, really. But, you know, he'd done okay. But it wasn't so much that everything was a disaster at Liverpool. It was just all a bit flat, wasn't it? It was all a bit kind of directionless, is, is a word that kind of used before. And, 
just a little bit like people had sort of like given up dreaming a little bit, I felt. Yeah, the fail was it the Stoke game, I think, was that, that just was previous season. Previous season. That's game of the previous I think season. Rogers yeah. should really go then. <laughs> no, then... Just shaking, oh, no, like, no, I know. <laughs> I just didn't want to bring it up, but if Rogers goes then and we get Klopp, maybe, you know, he's he he'd have that like first season effect. You know, the mm. managers can have, but he didn't quite have the time. So that was good in a way because it took the pressure off and we come into sort of like, you know, this sort of above average kind of all right team. And, you know, he made, he's made it into his own. We're looking at Jürgen Klopp's team right now and it couldn't be any more Jürgen Klopp. Maybe there's one or two things that, that, that could change that would make it a 100% Jürgen. But no, I, I think when he come in, it was just like, it was kind of when like Carlo Ancelotti was, it was like him and him. It was that kind of like mm. battle and you never really knew what to expect because we'd seen Jürgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund, this sort of smiling fella running up the touchline in his, in his cap and just kind of like those amazing nights Dortmund had on the way to the Champions League final and stuff. But you never really, obviously not really a big watcher of the Bundesliga, but you never really like knew who he was entirely. And I feel like now he's like, Almost like I'm gonna describe him as like Adele, you know the way you feel. <laughs> right, listen to this. Go on, so, I'm not with you. Right, so Adele is one. No, Adele is one of them celebrities who could walk in here now, and you think that you're the best mate just from from the way she is on mm. on telly and in interviews. You just she's just so relaxed and really just a great person. And you just I'm already a best mate. She doesn't even know me, but we're best friends. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Jürgen Klopp is that that person. I think he's like if you walked in here now. He's your best mate because he just is, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? I'm with it. It's a match out. Yeah. I got there. Yeah, going to Klopp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That very first game when he takes over, Josh is is, is away at Tottenham. He gets a decent nil-nil draw. There's, I've just had a little look, and I think there's six players who are still at the club who start that game, but none of them are starting. And it's been an almost kind of quiet revolution, really, in that in a way, he's given everyone a go. So it wasn't like he came in and went, oh, I want to change everything. So maybe it's been more evolution. Yeah. I don't know. But what I mean is it's almost stronger than that. It's somewhere between the two. What's a word? You're a word, man. What's, what's between <laughs> evolution and evolution? But you know what I mean? It's like this idea that he came in and said, look, I'll give everyone a go. And he sort of has really, but he's quietly just made everyone better. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is, is, is He's got his ideas and I think he, he gave everyone a fair chance to sort of show that they were part of his plans. And I remember he, he comes in in the October, doesn't he? He doesn't sign anyone in January apart from Stephen Corker, who he who he really needed as, as bad as he turned out to be no no offence to him of course but it feels like over that time he's, he's as he started to instill his theories even more he's been able to also bring in the players who don't live up to his style don't match his style so he's, he's found out the ones who the ones were who were already in the squad and then and then added to that and the players he's added to that has, has you know made Liverpool into the squad it is now because I think when he first took over probably one of the issues was that there, there was there wasn't you know probably enough quality on the pitch but there was definitely not enough quality on the bench either that Tottenham team I think there was like a load of kids on the bench that day yeah, wasn't there uh, Bogdan Torre, Conor Randall, Joe Allen, Jordan Ibe, uh, Joe Tashira, and Jerome Sinclair. So. Which is absolutely unreal when you think yeah. about like what the bench was against City or yeah, like yeah. one of our mad benches for this season. So he he's done that just by sort of constantly improving players, but also by improving on the players that he had. And and so it's, it's six players in total that still play for the club now in that team. Yeah, it? but it's only James Milner who you would count as a first team player. So right, the okay. others are Miguelay, uh, Nathaniel Klein, Alberto Moreno, Adam Lalana, and Divokarigi. And we didn't we didn't necessarily think they were like bad players for Liverpool that time yeah. did we so it, it, that does show that what they've become now they're, they're like Liverpool's you know decent squad players now albeit they'll be the scapegoats for some for some Liverpool sports or some people in, in the media in particular but it shows that Klopp has just improved on them by, by buying better quality than them and that's what led to the team we've got now I think he's, he's made us think bigger as well I think Mo and I think that's something I really like about, about Jürgen is that Kind of brought a bit of a swagger back and, and brought a bit of a. We are Liverpool Football Club, and we and we and we belong at the top, and we belong mm-hmm. challenging, and and that's what we should be every year. And I think the longer kind of it's been without a league title, I kind of started to kind of kind of make you know, make excuses for the team. Really, you say, "Well, we can't compete with yeah. them," type thing. Whereas, whereas under Rafford, it wasn't like that. But but you kind of you kind of. I guess from the Gillette years and, and from what happened at Manchester City and, and kind of stuff like that, you start to think, oh, we can't compete with them. And, and, and that the, the biggest thing that Jürgen's done to everyone is to make us feel like we can. Definitely. I, I think when you think about the kind of job that he went into and some of the guys who went into that seat before him, there's been a case of some people trying to kind of bring our expectations down a little bit without necessarily making it obvious that that's what they're doing. 
Whereas with Jurgen Klopp, he's basically brought the team up to where our expectations should be. He's not saying, no, you shouldn't be thinking that big. You should be thinking that big. I know he's not a big fan of going on about the history of the club, but he's aware of it and he knows how much it drives us. And he, I'm pretty sure he knows it should be driving the players. But you're right. I mean, if you take out that kind of 18-month period of Brendan Rodgers, we've been kind of pinging around between fourth and seventh for far too long. And it's almost like, like you say, John, you make excuses it's season in, season out. You Rather than going into the uh, season expecting to challenge for trophies, you're going in hoping to challenge for trophies, not hoping to win. Hiya, it's John Gibbons. I'm with Neil Atkinson and Hello. we're here to talk about Kevin Keegan's got a new book out. It's astonishing, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, there are a few there are, there are a few more interesting people in English football, uh, in English football history, really, than Kevin Keegan. I've always sort of been, you know, he's got a, a mythology around him, which is just spectacular, to be honest with you. And the idea he's done a full book, um, which explains sort of who he is and what he's about. And, and what I've always liked about Keegan, you sort of got the impression is that he's a man who's very much man who's very much in touch with him with himself, with his emotions, yeah. with his you know, he's he's, he's he, it's not just the idea of you know the cliched thing of when he was at Newcastle, but you know, there's some fantastic stories of him with Shankly and being presented something by Shankly a sword and then handing it back to Shankly and the idea of getting all of that would you know him going through all of that with you on a personal level would just be just be astonishing, really. And you, the other thing is, he loves football. Yeah, he does love football, and that really comes across. And he loves Shankly as well. He actually dedicates the, the book to Shankly, and that's really nice. The book's called My Life in Football. It is out on Audible now, so the audio book is out. It came out this week, and it's been very well received. And also, you might have seen a few bits of it serialised if you if you certainly if you're in the UK. And I think what's quite nice is obviously you know you've you forget kind of the, the the places that he came from, Keegan, and I think that that's something that comes across really well in the Liverpool chapters. And uh, um, and I've just been listening to the Liverpool chapters and the great and the stuff around. Obviously, the the idea of someone signing from Scunthorpe now and, and go, yeah. going to Liverpool now seems ridiculous, but even at the time was was remarkable in that he talks about his first he scores on his debut of course he does because he's brilliant but he says he got hold of the program recently and he's not even in it yeah yeah like he's not he's not listed as, as, as a as a Liverpool well, player because everyone was like oh don't worry about him my, I was talking to my dad recently about Fabinho and he said and he was saying well this is what we used to do he said this is what we used to do was just lads are just You'd sign them and then you would never hear anything about yeah. them for three months at least. And he said, and there was there was only really two major exceptions. That one was Kenny Dalglish and the other one was Kevin Keegan, where we bought him. And then a week later he was playing. And everyone yeah. was like, who's this lad? What's this about? How's this happened? Yeah. Because you can do the thing of, oh yeah, well, you know, it's, it was a different time then. But the idea that Liverpool bought someone and he just played straight away was, it was like you say, he's not even in the programme. Yeah. It was like people would go, what, what's this all about? And so it's worth remembering that. It's worth remembering that in many ways... Y- y- Sometimes different times are different in different ways than you think, if you yeah. sort of see what I mean. And that's one of the ways in which this is different. Yeah, you know, the idea of buying someone from Scunthorpe, all right, yeah, it might have happened. Normally, that lad would go and disappear off and work with Roy Evans for six months or well, something. I think that was, as you say, what was expected of him. And, and that's one of the things that come across in, in the audiobook and, and listening to it is, is how much he backs himself. So even though, so he signed from Scunthorpe and he's like, that's mad, <laughs> but he still manages to... Um, Negotiates his contract though. Yeah. So he still manages to go, oh, I was expected a bit more than that. Like he's a man who very much knows his worth, even though he's going from a, you know, I mean, any of us signing for Liverpool, you just you just sign whatever in front of you, don't you? But he but he manages to negotiate, oh, expecting a bit more than that. And the, the Scunthorpe chairman's kicking him under the table and, and kind of stuff like that. And, you know, but but he's he's been like that throughout his career, and that's why obviously he ends up moving to Germany and, and, and the stuff like that and, and around Newcastle. And it's all in there, it's the, his whole career. But you know, I, I love listening to the Liverpool chapters I haven't listened to the other stuff yet and I'm going to get into it but it is available on all the one out there's another really good story I like which shows the difference between kind of going from Scunthorpe is that uh, he's, he's making his debut and he's told to there there for two o'clock so the day before he goes I'll see how far it is so he drives to the ground and it takes him 15 minutes and he's like right and so the day of the game he leaves a quarter to two <laughs> <laughs> and then Struggles, yeah, struggles to get there, and then he's he's got he's in this altercation with the policeman trying to get through the barricade and saying I play for Liverpool, and the policeman says, "Yeah, so do I." I made to get changed the courts to free and go up <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that, and it's and it's really nice, and so, but yeah, uh, do download. I mean, Keegan, he's he's one of the biggest names in British football, as Neil very eloquently said at the start. It's available now, and yeah, I'm I'm reading it, enjoying getting stuck in, and enjoying listening to the rest. So yeah, get to it. Audible, do download the audiobook and yeah, enjoy Kevin Keegan because he's someone we should all enjoy. 
And it is John Gibbons, and I'm now joined, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Rossa from the band Keeler, who were involved in the Liverpool Irish Festival. It's Liverpool Irish Festival time again in the city, and it's always it's always an exciting time in Liverpool. And, and Keeler, you're playing at the Arts Club, Rossa. Yeah, I never played there before. I was looking at it, it looks like a nice venue. Yeah, it's a good one, you'll enjoy it, they'll look after you. You've played the uh, Irish Festival before, though, haven't you? Never, no. Oh, wait, sorry. You're- this will be our first time. We played in Liverpool, I think, in 1997, so okay. about 20 years ago. Maybe 96. <laughs> anyway, so a uh, long time ago. Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess you're looking forward to, to, to getting involved then. I mean, there's lots going on kind of throughout the city, but I mean, your yours gigs is, is kind of one of the bigger ones. It's at, it's at the Arts Club, as you say, which is a nice venue. So yeah, 19th of October, we should say. And uh, yeah, you're looking forward to coming over? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, people say that Liverpool's a, a mini Dublin. There was a, a boat used to leave from Dublin every day and uh, step off in the Isle of Man and go over to Liverpool. So there's a, there's an awful lot of connection there. But they stopped it in the 70s, so there's probably a generation that hasn't got that connection. But it seems to go back way, way back. Yeah, I mean, it does. And, the, and this this kind of festival, if you like, is a celebration of that, a celebration of, of, of the Irish heritage of the city and, and the connections and, and lots going on. And you've obviously had a sort of it's a long long career. I'm interested in how much of an Irish band you kind of see yourself because the, the term Irish music is just kind of used to cover, well, any band from Ireland, really. But but how much of it, do you, do you see yourself as, as an Irish band? Do you see that as, as, as part of you or are you just Keeler making the music that, that kind of you want to make? And it's obviously going to be steeped in kind of what you're, you know your traditions and, and what you've been influenced by. Well, well, we're definitely Irish. I mean, there's hundred percent. But yeah. uh, in terms of classification, uh, we were a lot, a lot more um, blending what we were at with other, 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 um, other cultures' uh, music. Not by learning it, just by listening to it and saying, if you get a tune and you kind of go, this would really work well with the mood in this in this melody. So we'd be dressing it up. So we had our ears finely tuned to the world music scene uh, for years. And so it, it was being filed under world music as well. Yeah. The traditional um, musicians, while we're playing, tra- you know, traditional idioms like jigs, reels, polkas, hornpipes and, and that, um, the the people who would be the kind of who would be teaching it and the conservative the traditionalists would see us as being completely non traditional. Right. So we're kind of like Schrodinger's cat. We're we're <laughs> we're 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 traditional but not. But uh, you know we have we sing in Irish of course, Oscailiga, and uh, these are all self penned songs by Ronan and Colm. And uh, our you know, sure our if someone doesn't know we're sure we have eight people in the band. There's yeah. you know anything from. Drums, bass, electric guitar, mandolin, whistle, pipes, fiddle, flute, and baron, uh, and more. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, as you sort of alluded to before as well, by the fact that it was it was the nineties when you came over to Liverpool. It's it's a long career what the band have had. I'm reading here that you've played in over thirty countries around the world, five continents, played in an event that welcomed the Dalai Lama to Ireland, and it's been sort of a very varied kind of career and 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 a lot to a lot to enjoy, presumably. Ah oh, well, yeah. God, we're looking back thirty years. It's 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 you know I'm still enjoying it, and we're still <laughs> getting to visit uh, new places, meet brilliant people. You know, it does give you a very uh, despite despite yourself maybe a, a worldview, um, and you can find yourself in conversation talking about places that people wouldn't have an opportunity to go to, and it starts to you know you can you can be afraid of. You can sometimes not mention because it might sound, start sounding pretentious. Well, when I was in Canada, when I was in Zimbabwe, actually what they do in Japan and there's, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> three continents in the one sentence and it's like, all right, it's a bit much. But, you know, <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> but that's a natural kind of Irish thing to kind of play it down, I suppose, really, isn't it? And that, that kind of exists in Liverpool too, is you don't want to kind of say, you know, be, be, be kind of too big-headed, but it is kind of, you Well, know, you don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable either. And, you know, you, you, you don't want to freaking imbalance a, a conversation either, you know. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's, that's that's the kind of way it is. Um, I just wanted to point out a few more things that are, that are going on at the Liverpool Irish Festival because it's not just music. Obviously, music's a, a big part of it, as you as you can imagine. But there's talks mm-hmm. going on. There's um, there's there's films. There's a, there's a play, uh, How to Shoot an Irishman, which is um, starring Robbie O'Neill, who was who was there a few weeks ago, which is going on at the Everyman. So kind of huge amounts going on and, and showing that the kind of the breadth, if you like, of of, of 
Well, what island's given the world? I think, Ross, and that must be something that, that you're proud of and of all the travelling that you've done is that well, Ireland's a relatively small country, low population, but had a huge influence on, on world culture. Yeah, it is kind of incredible. Uh, um, and But it, 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 a lot of Irish festivals don't tend to, um, don't t- aren't as, uh, as wide as this one. And the, the previous one I, saw, I, I attended years ago was in... Um, was in it was somewhere sometime around two thousand. It was over in Turkey, and Jamie was kind of incredible. You know, here was a Turkey so a guy who was working in a Greek bank, <laughs> got the job, was bringing over DJs, was bringing over films. I mean, Irish DJs weren't heard of, yeah. and still aren't heard of an Irish festival. Really, really imaginative. He had um, he had a he had a play, but what was really funny was the films. <laughs> None of the he, I think he was bringing over one Irish language film, and they were they were they were censored because they didn't know what was being said in them. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't get through, and they couldn't show the film. Um, but uh, that kind of festival is really important because you know, as they say, um, art and music are are the uh, are the weather forecast of the soul. And it's really important. I mean, if, if I'm, I'm presuming, I haven't seen the full the full thing, but artists and uh, writers, along with uh, musicians. I mean, musicians is one of the ways of expressing yourself, but there's so many others. So, uh, really important that that, you know, for a festival to be that wide in its uh, in its, um, if they're saying an Irish festival that it's that wide. Fantastic. So yeah, as you say, it's the it's art club uh, with with where the gig is at. Um, October the 19th, uh, tickets are, are kind of still available and you're not doing loads of shows in, in autumn, are you? Is this, is this the only one? No, yeah, we, we have, we're extremely busy this summer now. We're every weekend or from March onwards and then uh, it's just kind of dwindled away a bit. Um, we're also planning this big big gig in, uh, in, in Christmas, so we kind of have to uh, tone down some of, the, some, of the, some of the business as well. <laughs> uh, we've got a big gig trying to fill, fill a 2,000-seater in, uh, in Dublin. On the twenty second, we're calling the Fela Kila, and uh, we have a whole load of uh, performers. And you know, it's 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 uh, we're taking a chance. We've been ten years not doing the big venues just because uh, people people's money disappeared, yeah. and uh, so did the audience with five hundred thousand people leaving the country again. You know, and so it's since two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen, there was five hundred thousand people left. So we were, we, you know, and then people didn't have the money. So we're taking a big chance now. Uh, I think people are saying that this. Um, uh, that there's a lot more employment in the country. I don't know if they have any more money because they're all paying too much rent. <laughs> but we'll see anyway. <laughs> that's that's one for another day, I suppose. But we, you know, hopefully some of our listeners out there in Dublin are going to support you in that big gig. It sounds like a, a big good fun. But in the meantime, yeah, if you are in Liverpool or around for the Irish Festival, I think Liverpool at home that weekend there's also people might be around. Um, yeah, that's at the Arts Club on the 19th of October. But uh, do check out Keela online if you've not heard them before. And huge thanks to Ross here for joining us and. Yeah, back to some football. I'm now delighted to be joined by Jonathan Norcroft, who's a football correspondent for the Times, and to talk about the the piece you wrote at the, at the weekend, Jonathan, about Jurgen Klopp, and it has been yeah. three years of Jurgen and a quite a notable landmark, really, and a, and, a, and a kind of nice time to reflect on on the achievements, because although in many ways the the, the achievements haven't been quite what a club like Liverpool should should expect or should hope for, at least, which is silverware, actually. If you go back to where we were when Jürgen took over, you know, and 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 this the kind of state throughout the club, then not just what they were producing on the pitch, but the fact that they were sort of felt a bit directionless mm. off it. How far Liverpool have come from that point of view is is quite considerable. It is. It is. I mean, I mean, the whole the whole question of those three years' progress is, as you've alluded to, Gibber, quite quite difficult to to measure because. You know, for every time you praise Jurgen Klopp, you get you get the lobby coming back at you on social media with the what has he won thing. But you know, I, I do think we're in particularly the modern era as well. We're we're at a time where it is a it is about a little bit more than winning. I mean, winning's still really really important. But I think a number of things. You know, I think I think it's it's so difficult now with the power of of the very very richest elite clubs to actually overtake them, to surpass them. That that you know. Just because you haven't been able to, let's say, domestically overtake Manchester City in a single season doesn't doesn't mean you've had a failed campaign. Equally, it's the same. You know, did, did Liverpool have a failed Champions League campaign last year because they were beaten by the juggernaut that's Real Madrid? Yeah, I think we're in that kind of era, and also a time where I think having 
an adventure, having fun, having a bit of magic in your life is, is, is what people are looking for out of football more than they've ever done, or at least more than they did since the you know, 20s and 30s when, when football boomed then. So in that context, Jurgen Klopp's brought you know, progress, development, a personality and identity to the club. He's brought an incredible uh, uh, sort of set of three years of memories. One of the notable things he said to me was um, that, you know, yes, I haven't won anything. He said, but you can never guarantee when you're going to win, but, but let's have the time of our lives while we're, while we're waiting. And I think that sums Jurgen Klopp up. And I think he has given many fans the, the time of their lives in the last sort of three years. So that, that was part of what I wanted to reflect on in the piece and also just the fact that um, there's a lot more to this than just the, 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 the three-year Jurgen Klopp span. I think um, Jurgen Klopp is the sort of biggest but last piece in, in a jigsaw that the, the club and FSG have been building a lot longer, maybe since 2012. So I wanted to also show how he slotted into that. Yeah, I mean, he has sort of, I mean, slotted into the right word. And I think the fact that what comes across is, is not just how talented the individuals are kind of in, involved. And, and Jürgen is Klopp is the, is, the, is the easiest one to see, but there's other people obviously involved. But how well they work together and how much of that is kind of luck and how much is judgment and how much kind of reflects well on the individuals involved. And from what, what I mean by that is obviously other managers in, in the past at Liverpool have, have found people... Mm found people kind of infringing on what they think is their job quite difficult. Whereas Jürgen Klopp, I think from day one was very open that he didn't want to do anything and would listen to other people. And so that's what I mean about, I think there's always a, a, an amount of luck involved. If you go into work with some people who you've never met before, then, you know, it could go well, it could go not, but also that the fact that there was a positive mindset going into it must have helped. Absolutely. I mean, you're right, but there's always going to be a sort of chemistry aspect to it. I mean, will you just, Will the chemistry work between the person you appoint and, and, and the, 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 the people ready in key positions? But I do think that Liverpool did as much as they could to take luck out of it by the, the, the sheer effort they, they, they put in to identifying uh, Jürgen. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I try to tell how Michael Edwards and his department put the same rigour into identifying managers as they as they do with players. And I don't think many clubs do that. I know Southampton do. I think Watford, maybe because they appoint one every year, uh, put a lot of work into identifying managers. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a kind of knowledge gap that, that, that clubs maybe don't um, you know, put quite as much detail into those appointments as they do into recruiting footballers, which, which is illogical, of course. So, you know, basically, before identifying Jürgen Edwards and his department, studied a range of candidates. At one point, Michael Edwards went, went incognito and sat in a hotel listening to yeah. a certain manager on the phone, observing his behaviour, deciding he's not for us. Um, they, they spoke to a lot of people about Jürgen, uh, players, colleagues, even journalists. With a 60-page dossier on him, Ian Graham crunched the numbers to show you know, how he pretty much overachieved in, in every season except for two in his 14 years of management. And then Mike Gordon um, sort of developed a personal relationship with, with Jürgen on the phone before then meeting him in New York. So there was a lot of work went into um, finding that this was going to be the right guy for Liverpool. And that's before the, the you know, the, the, what I'd say is the bleeding obvious, which is anyone that had watched Dortmund with half a brain would see that he was a manager that, that, that would be perfect for English football and perfect for a club like Liverpool. But there was a lot more detail that went into that. And then, as you say, it's a fact that on top of all those great things, he's a guy who, by nature, is is collegiate by nature, by 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 background, has worked in a structure similar to Liverpool at at, at um, Borussia Dortmund, where he had a, a chief executive and a director of football that he worked hand in glove with. So all those things sort of came together uh, to, to to sort of slot him in. As I say, that that big, but that last piece of the jigsaw that, that Liverpool had waiting. And it's not just at the top, is it? This idea of being sort of collegiate, if you like. It's the, mm. the, the things you talk about, to, particularly towards the end of the article about how he's fostered the kind of a one-club mentality. And that's, that's a phrase that yeah. is, is thrown around so much, but when you see it, it's, it's kind of hard to dispute. And that's something that, that he's brought a togetherness at Liverpool Football Club that, that I was unsure would kind of ever exist again, in mm. a way. No, and, and, and interestingly, listening to his ambitions over the next two or three years, yes, winning is part of it, but 
He also talked about trying to strengthen further the bonds between um, players and, and fans, club and fans, manager and fans. You know, it is, it's central to his agenda. And of course, we saw an action at, at Dortmund and I would suggest that it, 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 it's not just a kind of airy-fairy thing. He, he realises that it's actually a tool of management. You know, I, I think when, when Liverpool overcame Manchester City last season in, in the Champions League, uh, there was the, it was a collective effort. There was a wave of, of, of sort of power and emotion that, 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 that they hit City with and um, that City weren't able to, to, to cope with, particularly Anfield. So, you know, I, th- I think he's quite... There's a pragmatic element to harnessing that, but it, but actually, you know, more more than anything, just stems from, from how he sees things as, as as a person, and the fact that you know he he lives as he he practices what he preaches because you don't hear him um, in on or off the record saying anything critical about the people he works with. Um, uh, he he presents unity at all times and. and I think it's a genuine thing. I don't think it's. I don't think it's put on. I think he, he genuinely. They those three that we talked about genuinely make decisions together and, and try and you know present a united front. Uh, just a couple more things. I think it's it, it obviously started at the at the very beginning and that, that time where mm-hmm. where Jürgen Klopp's out of work but was planning on being out of work for a year. Um, <laughs> And Liverpool comes calling and I'm thinking he needed some persuasion but not a huge amount and I guess. That's worth remembering as well how much kind of he wanted to come to Liverpool. He wasn't a manager, you know, out of work looking for a job, kind of scratching around. He wasn't on the merry go round <laughs> at all. He was he was actually literally on the beach, I think, wasn't he? So the fact that yeah. that, that he was he was so willing to kind of to break this this plan and you know he says he was very much on holiday, but and but it shows kind of. I don't know, shows something. I'm not sure what, what it shows, maybe. Shows maybe that all, yeah. Liverpool will always be a big club or or maybe just shows that he thought, you know what, this is just a really good fit for me and I'm not going to let you know, some other idiot do it. Yeah, I think, I think it shows as well that he's a, he's a man that makes decisions on, on sort of gut, on, 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 on gut instinct. That's how he is. And yeah, I mean, he said to me that he, you know, he was literally in holiday mode, as he put it. Um, a week before Liverpool's call, I think his, his idea had been that you know, around about November he was going to start, um, you know, maybe going and watching a few clubs train, um, just sort of, you know, gently sort of strengthen his knowledge, put his face around, and then maybe look for something in, in the new year. So, you know, Liverpool kind of yanked him off, off, off the beach, but um, I think he said to, to, to Michael, uh, to, to Mike Gordon, uh, after they met in New York, that that you know there was a train leaving, and he realised he needed to get on it. You know that that train was a yeah. Liverpool job, and um, and that 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 is what you see with him. You know he 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 will he will um, it's a spontaneity about him, isn't it? He'll 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 act on on those gut instincts, and uh, it's 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 for it serves him pretty well. Just before you go, Jonathan, you delved into the uh, the murky world of Reddit, world of Reddit, sorry, this week, and um, and I think quite enjoyed it as well, and, and spoke very kind of honestly about yeah. a few things related to journalism, yeah. and it's it's well worth, I would say, anyone going on to Jonathan's Twitter because I know he tweeted out and having a look at that. Anyone, certainly anyone who's interested in getting into kind of journalism or, or any kind of football writing, I would recommend having a look at that. One thing I wanted to talk to you about that you mentioned on here is just how much work goes into an article like this because I mean in, in some ways it's it's a sort of career's work isn't it because it's building up the contacts building up the trust but even yeah. even from a even from a very small kind of physically writing this article it's it's something that has to happen over a period of time and it's go- a good thing that there's quality newspapers still letting journalists write this sort of thing yeah well I, I hope people think that and thanks thanks for doing the reddit thing I mean I am, um, yeah. I, I really care about this sort of stuff. You know, I really care about um, the need for for newspapers in in a in a you know more difficult marketplace to to try and win the battle through quality and providing things that 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 you know we're trained to provide and that that, that hopefully we can we can still do really really well. And that isn't quick. So that's trying to um, go deep into stories and, 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 and use our years of, of, of building up contacts and stuff to, to tell these things. And, you know, I guess I would have to say that Liverpool are, are you know, are very, very forward-looking in the sense of club to, um, 
any ideas that you come at them for for, for quality pieces. And, and not every club is like that. Some, you know, it's part of Liverpool's policy, and other clubs would rather I don't know publish things themselves or just or just keep things in house. But um, I think this, I think with with Liverpool were very um, trusting me to to allow me, you know, not only access to Jurgen but access to some key people behind the scenes you don't usually sort of speak and and and, and trust me with, with you know that sort of information and I guess you know again I'm middle aged now and, and, and <laughs> probably because I've been probably because I've been covering the club for 16, 17 years when I I came down from Scotland to do you know essentially Liverpool Everton United and City was my initial job in England so um, yeah you've got you know you've you've you've, you've got to develop trust um, with, with with, with clubs and the people you work with, um, and, uh, and and you know, hopefully, um, I, I just think you got to try and show readers. You could use that and try and show readers something that they they, they can't get elsewhere. So, you know, there's there's lots of great. I mean, I, I do think Liverpool are, are the club that's best covered in, in the in the media. There's some great stuff in about Liverpool, and it's probably some very good journalists and, and also very good. Um, and this isn't, there isn't really, I'm really not bumming them up to try and get future interviews here, but there is a really good media department who um, understands what quality journalism can do in terms of um, informing the fan base. You know, and I wish there were more clubs like that. Here, here. Uh, huge thanks to Jonathan for joining us. And now I think we're going to go and talk about uh, Liverpool ladies who've got a big game this weekend. It's John Gibbons back on the weekend and I'm delighted to be joined by Leanne Robe, who's a new signing for Liverpool women and also Heather Carroll, who helps us out with the LFC ladies and covers them extensively and now does a bit of part-time work for LFC women as well, which is uh, fantastic news. Um, so Leanne, well, welcome to Liverpool. Welcome to the club and all that. Um, are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, I'm really loving Liverpool. It's a beautiful city. Um, lots to do, so yeah, I'm really enjoying being up here. As people can probably tell by your accent, you're sort of new to the area as well. You signed from from, from Millwall in the yeah, summer. Um, <laughs> I mean, from what I gather, you had your choice of a few different clubs in, in in the women's Super League. Was there anything in particular that sort of attracted you to to Liverpool and why you wanted to come here? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's the size of the club and the history of the club. Um, but it was the staff here and the players that were coming in that really attracted it to me yeah sorry but being a nice city as well <laughs> so there's been quite an upheaval over the over the summer um lots of new players coming in not just yourself but you know it's a, it's a whole new squad almost uh, how difficult has it been to, to all gel together and how close do you think you are to playing as a cohesive unit um well it's actually been easy to gel together okay. which is very very rare to get that I'm sure in men's football and in women's football we literally do just have the most amazing bunch of people um, so all coming together it was fine gelling it was literally just everyone was like oh my god this is weird like everyone's gotten really well straight away and gelled together in regards to the stuff on the pitch that's building literally week by week um, and we're just getting the final little pieces together hopefully create goals and start scoring some goals but we're almost there yeah, yeah game on Sunday home game on Sunday against Yeovil and that might be the one hopefully where, where it starts to click and a few goals do start to come yeah um, our game on Sunday at home against Yeovil was a massive opportunity for us to be getting some goals and get three points so we're all really looking forward to that yeah big game Sunday isn't it Heather and it's, it's a funny way of describing it when when Yeovil have struggled in recent years um, came bottom last year we get to get a point this year but really kind of with the way that the the women's team started it's it's as I say there's been difficult games there's been you know wins under the belt there's been nice moments like the penalty win against Durham yeah. and stuff like that it would be good to see a really good performance on Sunday and, and to kind of get a, a bit more of a sense about what this team's about yeah, I think Sunday's a really exciting opportunity for the team, sort of. You know, we've been building over the last few weeks and the performance of on the pitch has been getting better and better. So, you know, against Shovel, if we can get a couple of goals, I think that'll just be so great for team spirit. Yeah, and it's it's about sort of growing together and, and you know, you're gelling off the pitch, which which is great, Leanne, but, but showing more of that kind of understanding on it, um, you know, can only be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is always um, the case of bringing a brand new team together we're not naive to know that it's going to take a little bit of time but as I say we're already nearly there sorry um it's just a matter of a few fine-tuning a few things and linking up the defense midfield and strikers which we believe is about to happen 
I think as well from a supporters' point of view, I think you know the supporters are really behind the team because you can see like that they are you know fighting for each other on the pitch and things like that. Like we got beat last week at Reading, but yeah. every single player you know put their body on the line, and you could see at the end of the game like they'd run themselves ragged, you know, trying to pull it pull it back around. Yeah, and the fans still behind the team as well. Heather, are they? It's it's a brilliant it's, it's, kind of group of supporters, passionate supporters. Obviously, towards the end of the last season, there was kind of a little bit of discontent. Kind of how is it in the uh, in the terraces or the stands now? <laughs> I wouldn't know these days. But, <laughs> but no, You're um, posh in the press box. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the press box now, yeah. But, um, but no, I think, you know, speaking to the supporters after the games, like I just said, you know, they're, they're more than happy with the team that we've got. You know, they love all the new players. They've got all their new songs. Um, you know, and they've got the songbooks out again so yeah no they're, they're all happy with the team and you know I think it's just a matter of time until the results start coming our way have you got a song Leanne? I have got a song oh. I'm going to sing it for you guys <laughs> <laughs> it's a song that I actually don't really like it's a song that's fun I mean they're very creative aren't they you know what I mean yeah, it's a creative bunch they're almost wasted yeah <laughs> it should be in your division <laughs> <laughs> the first time going I went over to the fans after and then they sung my song for me and I was like that's good I've done a little bit of dancing <laughs> <laughs> but no, the fans are amazing up here, literally. Like, I couldn't believe it when I come to the club, like, the amount of support and welcome messages that I got. And I still do get messages every week from different fans after the game. So it's really nice to constantly have their support as well. You were sort of the first one as well, weren't you, in the door? So you sort of, like, heralded the new, the new uh, yeah, team. set the signings up. <laughs> <laughs> set the seat and things to come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think the potential of this team is, Heather? Obviously, you've watched the... the Liverpool women's team for for a long time you've seen champions you've seen seasons where it's been a little bit kind of disappointing <laughs> it's a young team isn't it it has to be said it's a, it's a new team as we've said what do you think they could achieve this season and what would you like to see kind of between now and the end of the year I think obviously it's going to be difficult against the top teams because you look at Manchester City Arsenal Chelsea now they've all got really like steady squads where they haven't had much change over the last few years our team's like a brand new team but I do believe we can pick up the results you know against the teams that will be lower than us in the table especially looking back at the Redden game last week. You know, last year we lost 6-0 on aggregate to Redden in mm. the league, whereas last, last week was only 1-0. So I was quite happy with that. Progress. Yeah, progress, you know what I mean? But no, I was happy with it and I'm happy with the team. Like, I think, you know, the players that we've got are fantastic. And you look at players like, you know, Leanne, she's stepped up the league as well, you know, from WSL2. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't look like out of place at all. Like, she doesn't look like she's come up. She looks like she's been mm. playing WSL1 for years. There you are. Yeah, kind of has to say that. I mean, it's it does seem a little bit more more unpredictable the league this year. I don't know from um from a little bit from the outside looking in I noticed obviously Chelsea ran away with it last year and this year they've only won one of the first four games and I'm sure they'll still be strong and, and you know I noticed they drew against Everton who that's yeah. their kind of first point of the season and, and I was speaking to uh, uh, Everton ladies fan and they were saying well we haven't got one point but we're playing pretty well and do you think it just looks a little bit more not necessarily competitive because it's always been competitive but you'll, you might see a few unpredictable results this year yeah I think so I think you'll have teams well like uh, Bristol I think they took a point off Chelsea as well didn't they yeah. and so you know they could be a dark horse Birmingham have, again surprised everyone they seem to surprise everyone every year and West Ham doing well um, the first season have, have been doing well you know Arsenal have come out the block so they like the team to beat at the moment and City have got a lot of injuries so it looks like you know everyone's taking points off everyone and we're not actually that far off when you look at the table we've actually even got a game in hand so yeah, so the men don't play this weekend. Obviously, it's an international break, so it's a good opportunity for for people to go down and support a Liverpool team. It's two o'clock at Tranmere, and I would what I'd say as well from from when I've been in the past, Leanne, it's a family event, isn't it? And so, obviously, with with the, with the men's team, has got a certain a type of supporter that we associate with. We, we go into the matches anyway. Whereas for the women, there's it's. It's it's a place to bring children. It's a place to bring people maybe for the for the first game. The, the crowd's obviously smaller, but that's nice because it allows you to be more intimate with the with the players. And you'll always say hello and smile for pictures and stuff like that. And it's a it's a nice day out for for people who are just getting into football. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you say, with the men having a break this week and having no game, like you say, it's a perfect opportunity for people to come along. And if they haven't yet seen a women's game and experience it, we've got some really exciting, talented players in the team and. Like you say, guarantee some girls this weekend and some bite-outs and interaction with the fans after, so it'll be nice. Yeah, two o'clock, isn't it, Heather? Sunday, Penton Park. How do, what do you think about the Penton Park move then, just just quickly before we go? Obviously, it was witness last year. Um, it's, it's, it's playing on grass, which is which is maybe better for the, for, the, for, the, for the players, but I mean, it's a great stadium as well, isn't it? It's, it's a league football stadium, and I really like Tramia. Yes, we played our last few home games there. Obviously, the 
the new home stadium still hasn't been announced yet for the rest of the season. Uh, right. But we are playing there on Sunday, yeah. So it should be a great afternoon. You know, it's £5 for adults on the gates. It's free for season ticket holders of both Liverpool and Tranmere and for members as well. So it's a good day out for the family. See you, I'll get down. And lovely to meet Leanne and good luck for the season. And if you, I would, I would, if the score on Sunday, I want to see that dance to your dear <laughs> uh, We'll see how that goes. So thanks to Heather, obviously, for joining us. And now uh, we're going to go back to the studio and talk to the guys about Jurgen Klopp. Back with John Gibbons. That is me. I'm back with the room. It is Josh Sexton, it is Mo Stewart, and it is Kiever O'Neill. And it's three years now, Josh. And what I enjoy about, about other people talking about Liverpool is like, well, he needs to win trophies. And it's like, well, he knows that. And everyone at Liverpool knows that. We can talk about the kind of the, the fun and the enjoyment, but it's been building towards something and that's to something, you know, is the is is the next three or four years and, and what we all hoping Liverpool do, which is a Champions of England, which is other trophies as well, are hopefully on top. And that's 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 been the whole point all along. Yeah, and that, it's almost like opposition fans don't realise that the steady improvement that he's done over so many years is is sort of aspiring towards this. You know, we've we've had the fun, like you say, we've had had all them them great nights under him, but it, it's all been building up to this. So it's so it's it's easy to say that he does need to win a trophy, but I think in terms of what what he needs to win, I think if he can get anything this season, like I, I all think we thought the League Cup in that game against Chelsea would have been would have made a good one this year because. It sometimes has helped title, title challenge out in the past as well, but the Premier League would be would be a good one to win, Jurgen, if you're listening. Because um, <laughs> we've, we've, right, so, we've, we've sort of wanted one of them for for a long time, longer than I've been alive actually. So um, one of them would be nice. Um, just yeah, but just anything which is silver and shiny, and Jordan Henderson can hold a loft above his gorgeous head would be would be sound, I think. But it's it's it is easy to say that, isn't it? The the the, the improvement's been gradual, and it feels like we're at the point now where that's that is what needs to happen next. He's lost three cup finals at Liverpool now. He's lost a couple before that at Dortmund mm-hmm. as well. Do you think there's anything in particular he's doing wrong going into? The, I know it's really difficult. We're not in the changing room and stuff like that. Do you think there's anything that he's doing particularly wrong going into the games? Do you think it's anything in particular the team's doing wrong, or do you think it's just a case of we weren't quite ready and hopefully we will be in the future and when we are ready we'll win them? I think it's really hard to say that there's definitely some kind of pattern forming because as much as we like to say that good teams get to finals, the final itself is always still quite a random event. There are still loads of things that happen in finals that you don't see happening in other kinds of games. So in terms of saying he needs to do one thing better, it's hard to pinpoint it. What I would say is that at halftime in both the Europa League and Champions League finals, there was an opportunity to send us out in the second half with a bit of momentum to say, look, we have done X, Y, Z. As it was last year, we were in the game. As it was last time, we were ahead in the game. Let's go finish the job. And both times that didn't happen. Whether or not that's something that he's been thinking about in terms of maybe I need to look at changing things quicker or anything like that, I don't know. But I think we just need some more luck. I think... The more that we do improve as a team, the more that the mistakes or the errors that we have made are being shed away. The harder we come become to be and the more we can sustain that for, the easier it's going to be to replicate that in the biggest games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those cases, Kiva, isn't it, that we're not going to be able to prove we can do it until we do. And I think that's the case. Do you sort of have a feeling that once they can get one, then that belief will come that, that you know, and one will become many, a bit like Andy Murray. The tennis, you know what I mean? Yeah. It took him ages to get one, and then he couldn't stop winning championships. I mean, it, it's like Mo said, it's kind of like the luck thing. Jurgen Klopp's got this little cloud of sort of bad luck around him in finals. He's obviously lost the last five, and every time he's going to get to a final, people are going to bring that stat up, and he's going to be like, you know, I don't think that would really affect him. We just haven't been lucky in the finals themselves. Getting to a final is a great thing, like we've experienced. Not many clubs get to finals ever if yeah. not in a long time so you know we're getting there that's the important thing but the next step is to win something and you know going out to the league cup in hindsight now probably isn't a good thing because it would have gave us that momentum maybe if we can go and win something like that but we want the biggest things and we got to almost the biggest thing last year didn't we all you know we all the players walk past the champions league trophy and you know we were, we were that close to getting there i think we will get there we've just we've just got to be patient 
and it comes down to that little sliver to look and I think it's coming our way I can feel it if so. you want to, if you want to talk about patterns the patterns probably in the opposition isn't it is that the three finals we've been in and we've come up against teams who who were who were built at the stage today were not already to win trophies whereas Liverpool have been on this sort of this path of progression we came up against a city side who'd who'd sort of for years around that time been been winning trophies and and have built up this this great side with so much quality in it that costs so much money Sevilla had, had won like three but they won three Europa, Europa leagues yeah they, they won their third Europa league in a row then and then Real Madrid last year did did the same with, with the Champions League. So I think that that would be the pattern you say, but there's been no pattern in terms of from from the Liverpool side of things, like you say, it's just bits of luck and things like that. I think on the to- on the trophies subjects in general, especially when we're being compared and clubs being compared with other managers, I've seen lots of people using Klopp and Pochettino as a way of excusing what Mourinho's doing, as if to say, well, if he's under pressure, why aren't these people under pressure? What that argument forgets is that the way we're doing it. It's the better way to do it. Just because someone is supposedly harshly treated doesn't mean that we should treat everyone harshly. We are building long term. You can tell that in the age range of our squad. You can tell that in the fact that in each 38-game block of those three years, we've got better. Yeah, We have definitely got a better team than we have now. Last year, we were worried about defence sometimes. Now, we're not worried about defence. It's just a case of making sure the building blocks get there at the right time. But... Let's not forget, there's at least another five clubs who are all trying to do exactly the same thing. And only one of them is going to be happy at the end of every year. So we've got to put that into effect as well. We can control what we can control. We can't worry about anyone else. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the case. I guess, Josh, do you think they're ready now? Or do you think that, or do you think there's, there's more building that needs to be done? It's hard, isn't it? Like I think if you'd have asked me that question at the start of the season, I'd have said absolutely we're ready now. I think the 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 attack is probably a bit of a worry at the moment, albeit I think that, that there's there's certain factors that could happen within the squad now to, to make it click. Um I know Chamberlain can't can't come back this season and that would be one of the things that you'd point out straight away. But there's people we could sign in January or there's lads who I think could do do something in, in that sort of more creative role. And I, th- I think that probably is the last improvement we can make. But in terms of what we've been building up and all the the sort of things that were that were wrong throughout Jurgen's reign and through all the weaknesses we had have, have have been strengthened now. And I think if you look at it in terms of that, then hopefully the luck will come now. And then we'll, when if we're sort of putting ourselves in that position to challenge, then I think we can do it. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to the point earlier. Maybe you don't know you're ready, and you can't prove you're ready until you're there. So we can always say that we think the squad's good enough to win a league title. We think, or, or, or at least a kind of a major trophy, and, and they can kind of think it as well. But it's, you know, it's all talk until it's done. It really is, and I think no one knows that better than Jurgen himself. I think every single time we've, we've done the team talk together and watched him last year in press conference after press conference and he's batted it away week in, week out. We don't care about the title in October. We care about the next game in October. And I think he's drilling that into the lads as well because that's the way to do it. You've got to kind of have that mentality of just the next, just the next, just the next. And then before you know it, you look up and, oh, well, there's only three weeks left and we're top of the table. I think because of how long this is built up for everyone, it's going to be kind of tricky if we're in in the mix, really in the mix, come February, March, April time. It's going to be very hard to keep everyone's mind together and everyone kind of like, um, to stop us getting a bit overexcited, so to speak, if it's going really well. But, I think if you can do that, I really don't see why we can't do it this year. I mean, something I really like about the squad, Keeve, is sort of the age profile, if you like, and it feels like a group of players who are kind of ready to achieve good things. And I think I was listening to um, to a podcast about Graeme Sunis' time at Liverpool recently, and, and they were talking about the fact that he, he, you know, on the team, the people look good, but he either had loads of old lads or loads of really young lads. So it was basically Russian Fowler and nothing in between in terms of, whereas for now, it feels like they've been quite clever in terms of not who they've brought in, just in terms of the talent, but lads who are ready to go on the next stage of the career. You know, someone like Virgil van Dijk, who's, who's been a Celtic, who's been a Southampton, who's, who's developed as a player, and now he goes to the club where he wins things. And look, it's great that they've managed to persuade players like van Dijk and Alisson recently to kind of join. And it's great that they feel like that's that's their bit because because they'll be thinking the same they'll be thinking I you know I want to be winning stuff you know it's not just you know Liverpool we want to win stuff the, the players are all the same and they've chosen Liverpool as the place that they go when they get into get into the winning things part of their career and that says a lot too yeah definitely when you look at like Van Dijk Man City could have had him he yeah. could have went and won the league there you know really they they'd already won it then basically 
and players like that, like Alisson as well, everyone was after him for them to come in and they they on the outside look at Liverpool and believe in Jürgen Klopp and the setup. They wanna as well, they wanna play in this team and they believe that this team is a team that can win things because, you know, Virgil van Dijk's probably the best centre back in the world. I'm putting that out there. And, <laughs> and you know, on Joe Mess, but anyway. And um, Joe um Joe Go. Um, and yeah no so basically I think you know they wouldn't come here if they didn't think they could win something he would have went to Man City and won the league or you know so they're here to to win and they're not getting any younger as well because they're at, is the average like 25, 26 it feels or something. like that yeah so that did you say that age like 26, 27 is for strikers mainly as well is like the peak sort of performance age and then obviously you can mature into a fine wine like James Milner <laughs> but you know that this is sort of the moment now it feels like we've got that team and we we need to do it like Josh said you know if you asked us at the beginning of the season can we go on and do it it's like yeah and now we're sort of there it's like Mo said as well we've kind of just got to take each game as it comes because we can't really look past anything you want to you want to get to Maine just be looking at it and going oh my god we've done it yeah but we can't we've just got to enjoy this long international break and just <laughs> just have a little deep breaths and then you know hopefully game by game we meditation we yeah that's my advice <laughs> i mean you mentioned patience earlier kind of josh and it's it's funny thinking about three years of a manager being at a football club is just to start because now the average time a manager spends at a football club I think is about a year and a half uh, in the Premier League I mean Jürgen's probably one of the, the longest serving managers now isn't mm-hmm. he in a kind of strange sort of way and we're just suggesting well this is the start of you know the next step it's almost like a halfway mark and and that's quite nice isn't it in in a kind of world of well a footballing world if you like let's forget the other world it's too it's too horrible um, <laughs> but the, in a kind of footballing world of of of, of change of, of kind of well two bad results in you out to be able to just look at a guy and think he's not going to run off at a, a, a slightly better opportunity and and also the, the fact that we know you know unless something goes disastrously wrong that the club aren't going to sack him anyway and to to be able to look at our manager we've had for three years and go he's going to are going to be our manager probably for the next three or four is, is really nice yeah and I think it says a lot about the sort of state that the, the club's in now I think when you talk about like as bad as it can get I think we've probably been there we've probably been been on the edge of the cliff when you talk about the Hodgson and the end of the Hicks and Gillette era so I think what, what needed to happen particularly when FSG came in was just was just that stability and I think they, they, they sort of knew what they were getting with Klopp they knew when they employed Klopp that he was he was a manager who was here for the long term and he had this project and he had this this sort of modern way of playing and, and he's made everyone buy into that but the patience thing's dead interesting because I, I feel like we've done the patience and I feel like Jürgen's almost created his own his own sort of like he's, he's made us impatient by the way that the teams progress because I think it could he could have almost done it in like a slower way like when he when he first came in the results were a bit sort of here and there but then I sort of remember 16 17 would have been his first full season and I remember us doing shows and people were talking about like can Liverpool chance for the title like we beat City on on New Year's Eve when when Adam scored the header and we're all going oh well that's that's a good step for us in the title challenge which just like which sounds absolutely mad when you think it's just his first full season, but it's because he's he's made the team what it is now, and he's made it so great, and he's brought all these great players in that he's all, he's created this this thing where Liverpool fans now are going. We know this team's good enough to win, and we know we've got one of the best managers in the world who who set us up for this moment. Exciting, isn't it? It really is. I agree with Josh as well. I think that there's a certain relaxation about feeling that, yeah, we know he's definitely going to be there for at least a few more years because I know he's kind of made noises about not wanting to kind of, people have tried to say if he's going to stay as long as Wenger or anything like that. And he's very much of the case of, oh, no, no, no. But I think if you look back at the end of his Dortmund days, there was a little bit of frustration about the fact that his best players were being cherry-picked by their biggest rivals yeah. and neighbours. And I think the players got a little bit frustrated with that as well, of him trying to say, it's all right, we can still compete, we can still compete. And they slowly started to lose touch and lose faith in him. I don't really see that happening in Liverpool for the foreseeable future. And I think that's the only reason why he might potentially be tempted elsewhere. So I think we're good. I don't think there's another Premier League club was just trying to think that are so confident in the manager and so like attached, like but in a really good way. Maybe like City with Guardiola because Guardiola's a really good football manager, mm. and then maybe like Bournemouth and Eddie Howe because he's just been there for ages and he's I think he's oddly one of the longest serving Premier no, League definitely managers. Is, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so Guardiola's a wandering bird, though, isn't he? 
I mean, he said a lot about how he's intense I think mm. isn't he so he's mm. so intense in terms of what he asks from his footballers but also for what he asks for himself yeah. I think he does have that period that I'm just going to go and get a three three or four years and then and, and I'm going to go yeah yeah I think definitely because if you think about he went to Bayern Munich to win the Champions League and he didn't but he got to the semi-finals three years they walked the league three times and rather than think well we're close within the semi-finals we, twice we got beat by the same team so maybe we can just do it. But no, he was like, no, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm ready. So it makes you wonder how long he might stay. Yeah. Would you swap him for anyone else, Josh? Absolutely not, mate, no. No? 100%. I'd love another 10, 20 years if we can get it out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, make, can't make Gerard wait around forever. Can't yeah, well, that, is, that is true. I like, I like the idea of Klopp outlisting the Anfield rap. I think that'd be quite... <laughs> Yeah, quite quite nice. Uh, well, listen, yeah, it's been a fantastic few years, but we're all hoping the next few are going to be even better, and we've all got a lot of hope here that that will happen. Um, but that has been the weekend. A huge thanks to everyone in the room. Also, make sure you support the Irish Festival, support fantastic football writing like Jonathan Morkoff's, and support LFC Ladies this weekend or when you're next available. And by Kevin Keegan's book, why not? But we're all still supporting Jürgen Klopp. Doubters to believers is right. Sports Social Podcast Network.